Well, today we're continuing our series we started a few weeks ago called Divine Direction. And um, a couple of weeks ago we said that who you are is more important than what you do. Or said another way, when you focus your life on becoming who God wants you to be, you are a lot more likely to figure out what it is God wants you to do. Because we all have the question at some point in our life, what does God want me to do? Whether it's in a, a circumstance, a situation, a relationship, an occupation, whatever it is, we all have that question at some point in our life, what does God want me to do? Uh, but the, the way to answer that is not to try to figure out what does he want you to do, it's to try to figure out who he wants you to become. And then last week we shared um, three things you can do to become a better decision maker. And today what I want to do is I want to give you four practices. And I'm calling them practices because there are things that you and I will have the opportunity to do again and again and again and again in our life. And the more you practice them, the easier it is going to be for you to, uh, to, for you to discern divine direction, for you to be able to actually know and filter and reason and understand what it is that God wants you to do in life. So four practices. Now, it's pretty you know, common in our day and age, people, particularly when they're giving someone in high school or college advice, we oftentimes say, you know, do what you love. And, and the thing, the, the weakness of that advice is there's no process, there's no path, there's no journey, there's no preparation. You know, just do what you love. But the fact of the matter is sometimes you have to do what you don't love to prepare you for what you do love. Right? How many, of you, how many of you have already figured that out? Yes? All right. So sometimes you have to go through some difficult things or take a journey or take a process or you have to, you have to navigate around some things that maybe don't look like what, what you thought they would look like or don't, don't sound like what you thought you would be doing, but they prepare you for what God wants you to do. We see this in Acts chapter 20, verse 22 um, we're going to look at Paul the Apostle and some of his journey in these few verses. But look at verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. So, so what, what practice are we learning about? He says, now compelled by the Spirit. So Paul's basically saying, I like where I am, but I feel this compulsion to step out in a new direction by faith. Right? That's what he's saying. So number, here's the, the, the first practice that you and I can do to find divine direction. Follow the inner prompting of the Holy Spirit. Now this word compelled is an interesting word because what it means is, is it means surrounded, covered, strongly, uh, strongly drawn. In Paul's case, he was drawn by the Holy Spirit. I remember many years ago, my wife and I were home on a lazy Saturday. It was the one you know, the one Saturday that there were no uh, sports games or whatever, things that we were supposed to be doing with our kids, no family activities, and we just had a slow morning and we're flipping channels on the TV. Back then there was a channel, I don't even know if it still exists, it was called ESPN Classic. And we're sitting there, you know, just flipping through, and for some reason we stopped there and we happened to catch a boxing match. Now, I've never been a boxing fan my whole life. I've watched, a, maybe I can count on one hand how many boxing matches I've watched. And I see this boxing match, and I can tell you my wife 100%, if it's not Alabama football, she's out. 
Like she's not watching any, anything with a ball, with nothing. She doesn't care about any of that. And we're sitting there watching this fight, and it's Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay, you know. He's in the ring mixing it up, and we're just sitting there kind of mesmerized, and we can't turn the channel, and then we go, well, let's just, let's just watch one more round just to see what happens, you know. And then one round turned into another round, and we watched the whole fight, and then we found out that there was another fight coming after this fight. Because they were like airing Muhammad Ali's greatest fights. And, and some of you won't even know what this means. Some of the fights were in black and white. They weren't even color. I know. I know. Television hasn't always been in cover, color. I mean, I, I know that's mind-boggling to some of you. But it was just so old as black and white. And we saw the Thrilla and Manila. Anybody? The Rumble in the Jungle. And, you know, when he fought these, um, these competitors who were supposed to really push him. And the thing is, one fight turned into another that turned into another that turned into another. We watched five fights. Whole fights. And then we're like, oh, what have we been doing all day? And I can't explain it other than when it came on, two non-boxing you know, uh, fans just got drawn in. And what I want to say to you is, there are these inner compulsions that you're going to sense sometimes and they're not always the Holy Spirit. I don't think the Holy Spirit led us to watch boxing. Okay? But there are these inner compulsions that you're going to feel, these inner prompts that you're going to feel sometimes, and they absolutely are the Holy Spirit. And sometimes they feel kind of like this. You have someone on your mind, you're going to text them, but you go, somehow a text doesn't feel right, so I think I'm going to reach out and call them. And you call them, and they go, how did you know to call me now? I, I, I don't know. Is this a bad time? No, this is, I can't believe you called. This is exactly what I needed. M maybe you feel some prompt to be a part of a, a group, a small group in our church, or serve on a ministry team, or to ask someone to go out to lunch with you, and it ends up being like, how did we all get to this moment, this day? This is so, it's so coincidental. But it's not because it's a prompting of the Holy Spirit. Or you feel prompted to pay for someone's groceries or to pray for someone you never met. You feel prompted to stop pursuing a relationship and you say, something, I don't know what it is. But there's some, I need to wait here for a minute. And then it ends up being a really smart decision. Or you feel prompted to cut some clutter out of your life. Maybe you're overcommitted and on the edge of burnout and you feel this inner prompt. And maybe you feel prompted to say something good to someone. Isn't it interesting the different inclinations that we have to tell somebody how we feel and it's good and we don't? Isn't that interesting? Why do we do that? And then when we do step across that line, sometimes it's... Sometimes it takes some humility. Sometimes it could be a little embarrassing. But when you step across that line and say, hey, I just wanted to tell you how much you mean to me. I wanted to tell you how important you are in my life. I want to tell you this trait that I see in your life that's so amazing, and I don't even know if anybody's ever said that to you before. But when we cross that line like we never regret it <laughs> but we but we're hesitant those are kind of what those prompts look like those prompts come in all shapes and all sizes and all types 
And sometimes the impact of them won't even be revealed until we're in eternity. I remember um, several years ago, a, a pastor buddy of mine said, hey, I'm doing this series on um, just people coming and sharing their testimony. Would you just come and share your testimony? Now, I, I, I knew him a little bit. I met his wife once. I didn't know another human in the church. And none of them had ever heard my story before. So I went to the church. I'm sitting on the front row with my wife, and we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, this guy gets up. It's just this little church out in the country, and this guy gets up, and he says, man, you know, he's going to sing a solo, so he's going to tell you all about the solo before he sings it, you know, who wrote the song, you know, the copyright, you know, he's going to tell you all the things. And he goes to tell you all that, and then he says, you know, last night, before I sing this song, when I was praying, I just felt like God wanted me to read this scripture. And I looked over at my wife and I said, I know what scripture he's going to read. She's like, I said, he's going to read from Isaiah chapter 40, which is the verse that God gave me as a 17-year-old when he called me to ministry. Now, you got to understand, the Bible's a big book, right? I don't know how much of it you read. It's a big book. The chances of him picking that exact verse are, you know, statistically zero. And sure enough, he stood there and he read the three verses that God used to call me to ministry when I was a teenager, which was the whole point of my testimony I was going to share that morning. And I, and I just looked at her and I said, this is a setup. God has set this thing up from the beginning. But you know what? How did he know that? He had this inner prompting that he couldn't really define or explain. He just knew that that's what he ought to do, and he went and did it, and when he did it, you can't imagine the, um, the power that, that was communicated in that moment. You can't imagine the impact and effect when I got up behind him and never met him and said, hey, let me tell you my story. It's from Isaiah. Maybe you heard this verse before, you know, five minutes ago. And then the prayer time and ministry time we had after it was absolutely amazing. When you practice following those prompts of the Holy Spirit, you come a lot closer to finding divine direction in your life. Number two, take your next step. So Paul was prompted to go to Jerusalem, but he had no idea what would happen after that. Look at uh, verse 22 again. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. In other words, I know one step. That's all I got. I don't know step two. I don't know three. I don't know four. I don't know 19. I know step one. That's all I know. And I have no idea what's going to happen after that. But one step is all that he needed, and one step is what he took. Now, it, it's, it's not that we don't know the next step. Sometimes we don't do the thing that we ought to do because we want to wait until we know all the steps. Right? We want all the steps. God, show me all the steps, and then I'll evaluate it, and I'll figure out if I can shorten it or take it, you know, I'll figure it out. But we want to know all, we want to know all the details. It reminds me of, a, of an old movie uh, called A Few Good Men with Jack Nicholson when he played a Marine general who was defending, I think, Guantanamo Bay, the whole premise of it. And uh, uh, one of the military lawyers pressed him in court for more details. And you might remember this famous line that's you know, been repeated everywhere. You can't handle the truth. You remember, remember You can't handle the truth. Now look, God is not a Marine general. 
I want to make that very clear. And God doesn't scream, and God doesn't shout, and God doesn't shame. But neither does God share all of the details. Because sometimes we can't handle them all. And his voice might sound a little more like this. Because you're my beloved son or daughter, I, I will not give you more details than you can handle, but I will give you your next step because I'm not trying to overwhelm you. I'm trying to guide you. And so God, in his wisdom, knows the best way to guide us. When, uh, when my wife and I, back in 2000, moved to the Mississippi Gulf Coast, we had no idea what would happen to us in those nearly nine years. No idea at all. But we did have one step. <laughs> Move there. <laughs> That's all we had. And in and, and those nine years, we faced about every kind of resistance that a, that a leader or a pastor can face. And right in the middle of it, the largest natural disaster in American history landed two miles from our church building and blew away. And we spent the second half of our time there rebuilding. And, and had we known all those steps... You know, had God said, hey, you're going to move, and this is going to happen, that's going to happen, that's going to happen. By the way, a giant hurricane's coming, you know, hunker down. If he'd have said all that, we might have said, mm, I don't know. I don't know, God. I don't know if I'm going to go or not. But we only knew one step. We knew the next step. And one step is oftentimes all that God will give you because God is doing a work inside you in each step. And if you skip a step, you miss the inner work of God in your life. And the work that he's doing in you is preparing you for the work he'll do through you. So that's why he gives you one step at a time. Psalm 119.105 says it like this. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. See, God gives you a flashlight for your feet, not a spotlight for your future. Right? So you can see the next step, but you can't see 20 steps ahead or 30 steps ahead. So God's direction has more to do with your character than which way you go. Did you know that? If you look at the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture, more of them had to do with not the future but the present. More of them had to do with inner character than they did actual direction. Because who you're becoming is more important than where you're going. So it's rarely about the future and it's mostly about today which prepares you for the future. If you want certainty for today, the Bible also gives us that. Let me give you some of the verses of certainty. Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That's certain. Romans 8, 28 says, God works all things together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. That's certain. Matthew says, do not worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's certain. It's today, it's now, it's in the present, it's one step. It's what are you going to do? What are you going to do with the one step that you know you need to take? What, are you going to wait till it gets clear? Are you going to wait for five more steps? What are you going to do? Are you going to take the one step that you have? If you're not living with a little uncertainty, you're not living in faith. 
Because faith is not about knowing everything. Faith is about having the courage to take the one step that you know you ought to take. So take the step you know to take and trust that God is working on all the other steps. And he's working on all the other process. I've been amazed in my life how many times I've faced complex situations and I really had no idea what to do. But as I begin to get clear on what my, my next step was, I've been amazed how I, everything past it was just foggy. It was foggy and murky and unclear, but as I took that step, it's amazing to me how much clearer the next step got. But I couldn't see it from where I was. I had to actually move toward what God wanted me to do, and I think that's what this verse means when it says he's giving you a flashlight for your feet, not a spotlight for your future, because we can't see everything. So take your next step. And that'll help you find divine direction. Number three, don't quit when resistance comes. According to LinkedIn, over 50% of people who responded to a survey said they would not continue in a project without seeing immediate progress. Immediate progress. Over 50%. If they couldn't see immediate progress, they quit. Man, that's, that's discouraging. Because when you follow God, not only should you not be surprised by resistance, you should expect it. Because by the way, most of the Christian life in some form or another is a battle. It's a battle. Acts 20, 23, listen to the next verse in Paul's journey. He said, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. You want a word from God? I'll give you a word from God. In every city. <laughs> God, could I have, could there be one? Could there just be one secluded, small rest stop? Can I have a rest stop? Could I just go to the beach for a week? You know, something. In every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. If your goal, I want you to hear very clearly what I'm about to say. If your goal in life is to take the path of least resistance, you are more likely to miss God's direction than you are to get it. If your value system and your process and your, your goal is, I want to live the life of least resistance, I promise you, you're going to miss God's direction more than you're going to find it. Because you're using a different value than Scripture gives us. I mean, how would Paul interpret that? The Holy Spirit warned him, hey, by the way, it's not going to get better. Every city you go to, there's going to be hardship. We oftentimes interpret difficulty as, oh, we must be going the wrong way. But, but, but sometimes when you face resistance, it's proof that you're going the right way. A few years ago, um, we had an issue like that here at Kingwood. We used to do a Christmas play called The Gospel According to Scrooge. And it was a big, you know, it was, it was the, the Scrooge play. The whole stage was converted and it was a big deal. And uh, one night I'm at home about 10.30. We, we used to do Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, two weekends. We had done one weekend. It was a Thursday night. The next night was 
the second weekend. And one of our college students called me at home and said, hey, the church is on fire. And I went, what? What do you mean the church is on fire? And you know, you know how when you're not ready for something, you say something dumb? Anybody, just me? And, and they said, hey, the church is on fire. And I said, we'll put it out. Like, I don't, I mean, I feel like that's obvious. I mean, it, right? Put it out. And, and they said, it's not like that. <laughs> okay, I'm on my way. So, you know, like I was going to come put it out. I don't know. So I, so I screamed down here, and I got here, and we had a bed right here that was the bed Scrooge would, you know, do his night scene in, and a little pyrotechnic machine, a little uh, spark machine that was under it shorted out caught the bed on fire and the flame rose all the way to the top of that screen and started lapping up on the ceiling and we're we're very very fortunate that there happened to be a sprinkler head directly above it and shot down on it and and put it out Uh, the fire department told me you know it would have just been a few more minutes that fire would have got into the attic once it got into the attic uh, the fire chief told me this this building would have burned for two days we wouldn't have been able to put it out. It would have just, just, been a cylinder of fire because the attic is wooden. And, and when I got here, I walked in, and here's the stage, and everything is covered in smut. And standing on one side of this room, I could hardly see to the other side of the room, and there are like eight firemen here on the stage in their boots and the hoses. You know, they've been up here fighting everything. And, and I walk up, and, and, you know, they survey everything, and we got this, you know, crumbled bed it's just char- charcoal bed now and and the uh, sprinkler head went off and just I don't know if you've ever been in a room where the sprinkler head goes off I had not before but if you have you won't forget it there was a lake right here in this corner I'm not kidding there was a you could you could wade in a lake right here of water it just poured and poured and poured and finally the uh, uh, fire assistant fire chief says to me hey pastor I man I'm sorry I think you're gonna have to call this off I said, man, I, you know, can we try? I mean, can we work on it? Can we, can we do something? And so we were up here all night. Uh, the stage here had uh, all kind of electrical wires that were miswired and all kind of junk under here. Hey, I can tell you what's under here now because we got everything out. We drug everything out that night, drug it in the back room, dried it out. Electrician came in the middle of the night and rewired half our stage. Then somebody had to come and sign off that it's actually okay you know, whatever all, whatever all that means. And then about um, three in the morning, Pastor Mark and I and several other uh, MCs were up here, and about three in the morning, I noticed that there was this pipe on the outside of the building just chugging water out into the parking lot. And I thought, oh, no, this thing, it's going to flood, you know, something out there. I have no idea what I'm doing. So we went back in the kitchen back there, and I, I remember the guy had come and turned this wheel in the kitchen, this big valve that had shut something on or off, and I thought, well, this, this water's shooting out into the parking lot. It's been going for hours. We better shut that off because, you know, our system's not pressurized. So I start turning the wheel. And, I mean, I turn it about two turns, and all I hear is, stop! I thought, what is going on? And, and so we, I just take my hands off of it. We start running down the hallway, and it reignited the sprinkler head and the one next to it, and they had already came and cleaned it all up, and it flooded this whole area again. Just flooded it. So I had to call the guy who was here half the night fixing the sprinkler system and getting the water system repressurized. 
I had to call them and tell them what happened. By the way, we had a daycare that was going to open at 6 the next morning. It's about 3 o'clock. And I said, hey. <laughs> and he said, hello. He just got into bed about an hour. You know, hey, say it's Pastor Jay and King Woods. It's a good see Said, uh, hey, man, it's a um, sprinkler head. You know, when all water's flowing, it's like a waterfall, really, in the sanctuary. And he said, well, well what, what, what happened? What happened was there was this water shooting out in the parking lot. We were trying to stop it. I went to turn around. He goes, hey, man, I'm not trying to be a jerk or anything, but why would you touch it? I said, I don't know. I was just trying to help. I just wanted to have Scrooge. I don't know. And so he came back up at 6, 7 the next morning. I mean, it was just a circus, right? And finally, we got the whole thing cleaned up. We had charcoal filters sucking the bad air out. At 7 o'clock the next night, this room was full. And that weekend, we had Scrooge and about 100 people committed their life to Jesus that weekend. It was pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Now, now, here's, now here's the thing about that, Okay. Resistance is not a sign you're not following God. It might be a sign you are following God. Because trouble is going to come. There are Christians all over the world today in jail. And they're in jail because they were caught with a Bible. Or they were caught telling someone else about their belief in Jesus. And if they were to interpret resistance as I'm going the wrong way, we would have a huge loss of faith. That doesn't mean you're going the wrong way. It might mean you're going the right way. Uh, one, of, one of my um, people that I've just kind of followed through the years, Eugene Peterson, he's in heaven now. He tells an incredible story about a bird called the kingfisher. The kingfisher, he said he sat on his back deck one day and watch this kingfisher, which is known for being an apex predator of fish. It's a bird. And this bird has the greatest skill at diving and grabbing a fish. And he said, I sat on my back porch and I watched this bird try to catch a fish. And he dove 37 times before he caught one fish. And he's the kingfisher. What's the takeaway? Don't quit. Don't quit. We quit too early. We quit too soon. We quit when things get hard. We get when, quit when things get confusing. We quit when things aren't clear. We quit too early. Don't, don't quit when resistance comes. Sometimes we have to do what we don't want to do to prepare for what we're called to do. Paul wanted to preach the gospel, but sometimes he had to pull away and build tents because that's how he made the money to support himself to go and preach the gospel. Paul the Apostle's ambition was to plant churches all over, all over the world, and there were places he wanted to go. He never got to go because he ended up in jail, in prison. But you know what? His time in prison, you know what it produced? Many, many of the letters in the New Testament. 
Like God had to allow that resistance to come into his life to, to shut him in, to focus him, or he would just be out planting churches, and that would have been an incredible thing. But can I tell you, having 20 more churches in the world would not have compared to having a New Testament. Because God knows all the steps. <laughs> but, but we can't give up when resistance comes. Number four, put your confidence in God. Now, as we said, Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. He planted churches all over the Roman Empire. Verse 24 says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He says, My only aim... My only aim is to finish the race that God has given me. So he put his confidence in God. He did not put his confidence in what he had done or what he thought he was able to do. He put his confidence in God. So let me just give you a, a thought for the day, and here it is. Following God means having a plan to obey God, not having a plan for success. That's what following God means. So Filter your plans through that filter. Sh sh uh, hold them up to that mirror and see if they stand up. Is your plan a plan to create a predetermined end of success? Or is your plan a plan to obey God? If your plan is to obey God, it's much shorter than the other plan because you don't know what's going to happen in a year or five or ten or twenty. You just have to take the next step that God gives you. Paul had no success plan. He had an obedience plan. Don't, don't we oftentimes try to manipulate the circumstances so we can arrive at the outcome of the life we've already decided that we want to live, and then we ask God's help to get there? Oh, God, bless this plan. You know, put a little prayer on it. Sprinkle a little prayer on it. We'll call a little pastor to come over, put a little blessing on it. Right? Just put, you know, I'm going I'm to live how I want to live. I'm going to do what I think I should do. I'm going to go after my purposes and my dreams and my plans and my ideas. And oh, by the way, if I had a little divine help with that, that'd be great. But I, I'm, I'm not, my ambition's not really to do what God wants me to do. So we oftentimes evoke the divine at transition moments, at the kickoff, at the ribbon cutting, at graduation, at the finale. Oh, by the way, this is an important moment. Let's don't forget about God. That's not divine direction. That's human direction asking for divine help. But what God's not going to do is he's not going to invest his power in your plan. He's going to invest his power in his plan. Right? And so when you embrace his plan, you are much more likely to find divine direction. Is, isn't it true that it's not that direction is impossible to find? Isn't it true that God, it's, it's not that God hasn't left us clues or given us the Bible that gives us truths or principles that help us? Isn't it, it's, it's not, isn't it not that the church is not a community of discernment? Is it part of the issue here that we have to give up our plans? In other words, we can't hold in our hands what God has for us until we set down what we're holding. Isn't that what part of the whole deal is? Have you ever, have you ever gone to God with a blank check? For Generation Z, think Cash App or Venmo. Like you just said, hey, God, my account's your account. 
You have permission to write in the blank anything you want. Let me say it a different way. God, I fully commit myself to do what you want me to do before you even tell me what it is. And that's, that's a lot. That's a heavy deal. That's what it feels like to put your confidence in God. I think what's happened is, is we've lived as a society with this illusion of control. Because we've lived in a mostly stable world where outcomes were predictable, and we had this impression that we had more control than we actually do. But here's the thing, the world is changing, and the economy is fluttering, and the global economy is reorganizing, and institutions are collapsing, and the supply chain is disrupted. I mean, every, every one of us goes somewhere every week that we go, we're out of this. Why? Because we don't have as much control as we thought we did. Technology and other forces are driving anxiety higher and higher and higher. So the question that we all have to ask ourselves in a moment like this is, where are you going to put your confidence? Who are you going to put your confidence in? Do you actually think that one more presidential election is going to fix it? Do you really think that the Fed's going to fix the... Do you really think that's going to happen? Do you think we're going to get educated enough or technologically advanced enough or medical breakthrough? Do you really think that's going to work? What's happening is, is there's a reckoning in the world where we're coming to terms with our own limitation and our own brokenness, and it's shaking the world. And so now is the time for us to say, okay, God, okay, 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 I give up. I want to put my confidence in you. Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's a good place to put your confidence, isn't it? So don't give up. Trust God's process. He has a promise over your life. And in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we see it. Look at this verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Never rely on what you think you know. Remember the Lord in everything you do, and he will show you the right way. Would you stand with me? I don't know why God brought you here today, but you're here. I don't know why God had you connect with us online today, but you're here. And so if you're online, our prayer team is is live, they've been praying for you throughout the morning, and they would love to pray with you right now. You just have to go over to the comment section and type your name, your need, unspoken request, whatever you want to say, and our prayer team's going to join you there. And for all of us, I just want to ask you if you would um, join us in this song. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a moment to surrender. And just lift our eyes to heaven and let the Lord speak to us and then we'll come back and pray together. Lord, I thank you today that you are here. I thank you for your power and presence and your ability to speak to our heart in all times.
So Lord, I ask you now to do the work that you came to do. In Jesus' name.